Eye for the Keen Eye. I'm Aaron and we're here again with Eric and Cobran. And today we got another great recovery story. We got John in here with us today. But before I introduce John, I just want to shout out Billy, who introduced us to John over at Claudie Brothers. We had a nice meeting with these guys the other day. John, I think, was a little hesitant at first to do this with us, but we're excited you're here, man. Yeah. Um, so just to start out, why don't you just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself? See, I was born in Anchorage. I don't really remember my first five years of my, my life. But uh, my dad, he's an alcoholic. He's been in and out of jail all my life. And then when I was like six, he, uh, he went to uh, jail for life, for, for murder. So that was crazy. So I had a deal with growing up with my mom. How old were you when that happened, did you say? I was six. six. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So he said bye, and then I had a deal with my mom, having her try to raise me. At, she was, like, in her early 20s or something, Yeah. which was crazy. And I I guess all growing up, I was just kind of a bad kid. I didn't, like, I didn't really understand. My mom was never really around as much from what I can remember because she had to work and raise me. I mean, she wasn't, like, a horrible parent. Like, she was good. My life wasn't that bad. Uh, we moved around a lot down in Lower 48, like, a lot, from, like, Washington to, like, Oregon to, uh, I think, like, I lived in Vegas for a little bit, I think, and then Minnesota and uh, Wisconsin. We just moved around a lot. And since she worked a lot, I never really had a lot of uh, supervision. Was it tough making a lot of new connections, having to go to different schools all the time? Or did you have kind some of, pretty good friends you keep in touch with? I guess, yeah. I also kind of was a bad kid, so I wasn't really in school a lot. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it was hard. So, like, when all that moving around stopped when we moved back up here, I think I was, like, turning 10, we moved to Anchorage, and we moved one more time out to Wasilla, and, like, that's kind of where... My childhood st like actually stayed in one spot. I guess for for me like I started like smoking weed and like drinking and stuff when I was like 12. I tried I tried it and it wasn't really a thing. But once I hit like eighth grade, I I started like selling weed when I figured out my friend, my best friend had cancer, and kind of like that good role model I had as like a friend and a, like a brother or whatever, kind of like left. So like I started doing what I. And he was your age, 12? Yeah. Wow. Well, Dude. no, we were like 15. I oh, think. okay. 10. Yeah, yeah, sure. Eighth grade or whatever. Yeah. And uh, he was wow. like my first friend when I moved to the valley. So yeah. it's like... And the valley was kind of your first time of some stability. Yeah, not, move, like, not moving right? and like those people were... Important. In my life yeah, for like kind of a the long first time. <laughs> geographical mm -hmm. stability, some of the first like, peer relationship stability. Yeah. And that was taken away by something that... Yeah. was pretty uncontrollable. Wow. So I uh, lost my good influence and started hanging out with uh, just negative people. Mm -hmm. So I started, like, smoking cigarettes, and uh, I guess I started breaking into houses and stuff. This is, like, before my heart, my, before my drug addiction got really bad, mm -hmm. partying a lot. So your criminal slash like risk taking behaviors started more outside of drugs and alcohol. I guess it was more like they did. when I was younger. Okay. Yeah. Just seeing my, my dad, first ones like were... my dad. So. Yeah. 
And I feel like, I mean, when it comes to, like, your identity, you know what I mean? Like, you're moving around a lot. You don't really have a lot of people telling you who you are or what you are, you know what I mean? It's kind of one of those things where you have to make your own inferences and your only influence is your dad, you know what I mean? So I feel like it'd be easy, tell me if I'm wrong at all, but, like, it'd be easy to kind of be like, oh, you know, I'm doing these things, like breaking into houses, expressing these criminal behaviors, and, like, oh, but I'm just like my dad. Or I'm this. Well, I thought if I... uh... I wasn't as bad as him, so right, right. I just uh, I justify I I do that a lot. I justify just because I didn't end up in prison or mm-hmm. I'm not doing the things that he was doing. Then was that, I'm not as bad. Yeah. And was that kind of like at home as too? Like you said, your uh, your mom didn't really pay attention as much, so those behaviors. Well, were she really did. Addressed. Like she was around, but kind of I kind of remember more. Like she works a lot. Right. Oh, mm-hmm. okay, gotcha. And as long as you weren't in prison, it wasn't a big deal, sort of thing. Like. Well, yeah, never had a run-in with cops and stuff like that. Yeah, on so. a far less severe scale. I definitely yeah. used to do very similar thing, but, like, far less severe. And I'm not trying to, I would no way mean that this is, like, directly comparable to your situation because my dad, like, was not on the same scale, you know. But I remember, like, I was in a pretty rough place when I was, like, uh, 17, 18. And I remember I was listening to this Andre Nicotina song, and my friend was like, my friend was like, and I said, man, you know what I like about listening to Andre? And he's like, what? And I'm like, you know, he's a really bad dude. Like, I listen to Andre, and I really feel like, I'm like, hey, man, at least I'm not as bad as Andre, you know? (laughs) And so you're like, hey, at least I'm not in prison. That just reminds me of, like, being like, man, at least I'm not as bad as a Dre dog, (laughs) you know? So anyway, yeah, dang, so you're... You're getting into some, you know, you're about 15, getting into some pretty criminal behavior. Um, I mean, I guess I was a so- somewhat good student, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I didn't, I didn't get suspended a lot or get in trouble a lot at school, probably because I had that get good influence. I played sports and all that, and then as soon as, like, I found that out, then all that went out the window, and I didn't know who else to hang out with. So the person I spent all my time with is in a whole other state going through something I don't even understand Mm -hmm. I didn't really know how it I kind of just pushed it down like I did everything growing up Um, but these people were like my friends were smoking cigarettes partying smoking weed and then like at the towards the end of my eighth grade year I got kicked out of school for selling weed and like that's when it seems like when everything started yeah. So I couldn't go to that school district, and I, like, I had to go to boarding school. Like that whole summer, though, it wasn't bad, because I, I was grounded. Of course. You know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, once I moved back up here from down there, uh, everything kind of changed. You know, I did every, I did all the, I did all my decisions myself. You know, right. my mom tried to be. She had to work. She tried. She, well, no, no. Well, when we moved up here, actually, she was around a lot. Oh, okay. Something I wasn't used to. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And, like, I was just such a bad bad kid for some reason when we moved back up here. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess being told what to do and mm-hmm. it was just all weird. And my mom just didn't know what to do. And I just kept getting in trouble, suspended. But once we moved out to the valley, I was doing good. And then that happened. And then I got kicked out of school. And, like, my mom... You were kind of, like, expelled midway through the school year? Yeah. Or somewhere in there? Yeah. Well, actually, so, like the last three weeks of school. I oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Right, yeah. Right, yeah. Damn. So close. Yeah. Um, yeah. My, my mom got a boyfriend. My uh, 
my fr- my like a good friend that I had when I lived in Anchorage, who's my aunt now. It's was his his sister, and we hung out all the time. And like so, I had like a father figure. It was hard growing up. I I try I like I liked him, but it's like I just wasn't wasn't doing the enforcement of rules and yeah, stuff. Yeah, had some resentment Sneaking there. out. Yeah. Just doing shit I wasn't supposed to do. But uh, once I got into high school, I had to go to a boarding school, and, like, I started partying more because, like, halfway through my freshman year is when my friend died. And I just didn't know how to deal with it, so I started drinking, and we weren't supposed to be drinking, but, like, at the campus I was living at. And I started getting in more trouble. I was Or at 15. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Period. Uh, so I just I'd go out and go off campus, go down to the beach, and I just get drunk. And were those a little more abnormal compared to those other people at this boarding school, or were you all kind of engaging in the same behaviors? Yeah, I guess. I mean, uh, I went. It was in a villi- It was in the village. So like, you and other people your age were doing this. Yeah. Okay. There's nothing else to do. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And, like, I don't know, I just didn't know how to cope with it, so I, I just started, I started robbing people and doing shit like that, like, after a while, it just got, it got bad, but I wasn't, like, telling my mom what was going on, and, uh, they didn't want me to come back, because I think, I think I got caught drinking or something, and I couldn't come back, so, I got into the Alaska Military Youth Academy. Okay. So, I finished that program, and the whole, like, the whole time I was in there, I'd have to go talk to the school board, and I got back into school. How long is the youth academy, or how was long? It's like five and a half months or something. It was pretty long. Dang. And were you definitely were got you gave clean me some and discipline. <laughs> were you yeah. clean and sober? Oh, yeah, yeah. Huh. So how old are you when you went? Uh, like 16, 17, yeah. something like that. Taught me some better discipline. Yeah. <laughs> gave your brain a break from the drugs and alcohol at a young, at an age where your brain's really sensitive. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Okay. But I mean, when I got out, I you got back into school. I started yeah. smoking more weed, drinking. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, it wasn't really much. It's just, just I had one one reason why I went there, and that was to get back into school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I got back into school, and that yeah, <laughs> wasn't so you're back the same. In the valley then? Man, I don't know yeah. if I could have yeah. did did a youth academy. Man, my mom was threatening to send me there one time. She was like, uh, like telling school. me like if I don't do this and I don't do that, and like then this other guy was telling me that if I didn't do not like a stepdad, some other guy I was working with that uh, he was like if you don't do this, if you don't do that, and then I'm just like pretty just like resistant you know just like this is bs f this f that not doing this not doing that and then then they'd always pull out the big military gun military school gun and be like we'll send you to military school and i'm like i'm not going and they're like we'll get a judge to sign and the cops are gonna take you to military and i was like, luckily i never had to do that but like i think back and i'm like man i do not know so when i hear like you say like so I did it, you know, five and a half months, definitely taught me some discipline, finished that out. I'm just like, dang, that's some, I don't know if I could have done that, man. I think I was like a mixture of, uh, a mixture of both like selfish and resistant, but also like in my emotions, a little stupid too, you know, like, cause you were probably like, okay, I just do my military school. I mean, it was a means a, to an end. Do I had a reason school, to go there. Then I get to do this. I get to go back to this school or whatever. Me, I would just been like, yeah, this would serve a good purpose, but man, it's just too hard, <laughs> you know, you know, anyway, so, yeah. Okay, so you finished military school. 
oh, do they have a hole in military school? You know, like go to the hole kind of thing, like a punishment place? I think that's a myth. No, but they make you carry like everything that you own in a backpack around for mm -hmm. like a long time. <laughs> um, dude, Eric would have spent his life carrying that backpack. Good. Yeah. Probably. Probably. And digging I don't know holes. how, but I was lucky enough not to. I'm yes. sure. <laughs> I got threatened with it, but it just never happened. Mm -hmm. So you said you were really resistant to rules. Uh, looking at this uh, at military school, where you like, uh, this is my time to kind of change that, or you just felt like you didn't have any other option. I didn't have any other option. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. I just, my parents weren't gonna move to Anchorage so I can go to school there, just to keep doing what I was doing. Yeah. And right. I can't yeah. go back to the boarding school, so uh -huh. it's kind of kind of bad situation there. Really last resort. So, but you did go, you, after military school, you got to go back to school, you said, what school in the valley? Yeah, I went, to, that you I went back to Houston. Got expelled yeah. from. Okay. So I went to Houston High School. I guess it was, I don't really know. I just, it was good, but I just didn't, wasn't doing my schoolwork. Like, I just, my parents yeah. tried to enforce it, and I just didn't do it, so I was grounded a lot. Mm-hmm. Your mom and your stepdad were still together at this point? Or your mom and her boyfriend? Yeah. Okay. So it's been a couple of years now, a few years. Or so. I think it's like five or six years then okay. or something. I don't remember. Yeah, so they've been, okay. Yeah. Um, so how's your relationship with uh, him at this point? Getting better. Yeah? Because mm -hmm. that's a pretty stable relationship. Yeah. Stable influence. Yeah. I mean, it was good, my, but I just, I didn't want to listen anymore. And my mom's like, if you don't like my rules, then you can leave. So I left. <laughs> I moved out 16 or something, 17. And then I started partying and smoking weed more. Just didn't go to school as much, so they're like, "You have to go to this uh, some other kind of school where like I do my work online." So I had to go to that school, and it was all it was all good. But uh, I was partying a lot more, and the drugs just started getting involved, like the harder drugs. Just like through partying. You're probably much? partying at this point with people who's quite older than you. Or all I guess kind of. Yeah. About my age. Yeah, okay. And then I just I just stopped caring, and it was more about the drugs than anything. Mm-hmm. But I still kept going to school, and I don't know. I just still had this drive to finish school. See, that's interesting, because, like, I'm thinking, like, what's, what's, what's the motivation to go to school at this point? You know, like, your I mom's not there telling you to go to school. No one's telling you to go to school anymore. I just didn't plan on doing drugs my whole life. <laughs> yeah. And see, that's interesting, because, like, you're wrapped up in the middle of doing drugs, drinking, smoking, partying a lot. You know, you don't really ever, like, you don't have to go to school. No one's making you go to school, you know, but there's still something that's like, man, I got to go to school and not just sit here and get high today. No, oh, no, I still did. I oh, went to school. Just, oh, you just went to school? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't even, I really don't know how I did it, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I barely went to school, but when I did go to school, I did work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, I, like, I don't know. I did a lot of work in, like, a two-hour period because I wouldn't stay there that long. Mm -hmm. I'd leave and go get more drugs. <laughs> uh, and then, like, it, yeah, like, I went to my graduation high. I was late for my own graduation because I was in the parking lot getting high. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know. And then I just left immediately. I don't even know where my diploma is anymore. <laughs> yeah. And uh, after I was graduated, didn't have to go to school anymore, then that's when everything got real bad. Really? That was just, like, my main motivation was just to 
do drugs. Party. And you're fueling this habit by selling and what? Uh, it was more like I was uh, supported through my habit, giving free drugs for like the first year or two. <laughs> just yeah. like for the people you're hanging out with and like yeah. just kind of part of the scene. It was crazy. And then it all just got cut off and so I had to start rob robbing stores and I tried selling but it just didn't work out because I would do get high on your do own it all <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh towards like my last I think year and a half or something oh well I kept the last like two years I kept ending up in the hospital from blood infections because I used dirty needles Mm-hmm. And like each time, my mom would be there, and I would tell her that I'm done, and it won't happen again. And like a couple months later, it's just like I I tried doing NA the two times that I wanted to stop, but I didn't see the thing is I didn't try it. Like I didn't do the program. I just went and sat there and expected to get what they got. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, the first time I really didn't care. My mom kind of made me go. And you can't really make us go. <laughs> right. It has to be our decision. So I guess I wasn't really ready. And then I ended up back in the hospital again. And, like, it was, like, two weeks of, like, feeling like I was dying. And, like, I was taking so much ibuprofen because, like, the drugs weren't working. Mm-hmm. And, like, I was sleeping all the time. And then I kept, I took way too much ibuprofen and I was puking blood. Ugh. But I thought it was the Bucaterade I was drinking. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and I was taking, like, 10 ibuprofen 800s on an empty stomach because I wasn't eating either. <laughs> like, I was so sick, I was just, I couldn't, I wasn't thinking straight. I just wanted to sleep, and I couldn't sleep because my, like, my arm was, like, that, like giant. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, got to a point where I couldn't hold, like, my pee in long enough, so I had to ask people to help me go to the bathroom, and then I just collapsed and almost, like, I was going forward and almost hit my head on the toilet, but they caught me. Mm. And like I remember, like them, like the paramedic coming, and just faintly, he kept trying to wake me up, and I was like, "Hell no, dude, I'm trying to sleep." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But I was, I was like dying. <laughs> I finally <laughs> fell asleep. It's because I had no blood left. Mm-hmm. Wow. And like the dude, the, it was, it was crazy. Like I, uh, I think I'll remember it for the rest of my life. But the paramedic was like, "I used to be where you're at." I had people doing the same thing. He said, it. I was like, he's like, I was an ex, I'm an ex-heroin addict, blah, blah, blah. I was like, whoa. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's wow. like, I understand, like, there's help. You know, you don't have to keep doing this. But I kept going in and out, and then I kind of don't remember anything else he said because I was getting mad because he kept waking me up. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, it's like, I remember my hospital visits more than I remember any, like anything else. It's like, mm-hmm. right. I woke up in the chair I was like all right I should be good and they start they're like couldn't get blood and I just remember like the last little blood I had left I puked I puked out all over myself everywhere I'm like yeah <laughs> and I, like I woke up I was coming out of like a coma for, that was like in for like five days and as my mom was just right there I think she was talking to the doctor and I was like it's just so heartbreaking and then just the insanity of this disease Mm-hmm. I really tried this time to do it. Like, I moved into a transitional living center, 
and I started going to church and meetings. It still wasn't doing like the step work or nothing mm-hmm. like that. I didn't get a sponsor. I wasn't doing. I wasn't doing anything other than showing up. Yeah, and it worked for a little bit, and then I saw somebody I used to use with. I was like, hey, let's kick it. And then next thing you know, I'm getting high going back to my transitional living center. And, like, that was my first time. <laughs> my mm-hmm. mom's like, you can go back out or you can go live at the transitional living center. And I mm-hmm. just didn't. I went back out for, like, a while. And then the second time, I put myself in that transitional living center. But it just didn't work out. I got kicked out, so I left and went to a trap house mm-hmm. that I knew I was welcome at. But then we all got kicked out of that place. And I started, I just started living on the streets when I, I guess, I never really slept. Like, my heroin addiction just turned into a meth addiction because I was just tired of ending up in the hospital. But then I just, it just started being, like, anything. And, like, I just, it was just, it was just so crappy. It was so miserable, especially in the wintertime. I'd, like, stand outside and I'd, sit on my phone, hoping that I could find somebody I can go, like, hang out with or stay -hmm. there. And it's just, I just put myself through hell. Yeah. Yeah. Just because I couldn't stop. Yeah. No matter how, it was like 21, or like 20 to 21. It's just, I remember I would walk around Wasilla for days, just walking around walking around in the cold and then like and at this point you were doing meth regularly yeah and heroin and anything else drinking mostly meth though weed and, <laughs> yeah. yeah drinking mm-hmm. whatever the hell I could do I was just I got uh, it was, and then like I got another I got a really bad blood infection I got the uh Incroditis or whatever it's called and like it was like eight months of it and like I knew somebody that died like within like a few days of it and I just I started feeling sick and sick and sick and I was mm-hmm. sleeping a lot more so I had to up my meth use and like sooner just it just didn't work anymore and I'd just do more and more and soon I was just crazy God just wasn't there anymore mm-hmm. <laughs> just wasn't there mm-hmm. and I started owing people money and I started getting jumped and I started just started doing just, just bad stuff I'm just really surprised I'm not dead mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like I did, and then like when I got, finally got in the hospital like it got like my it got so bad that I had to start crawling around like the trap house I was in mm-hmm. just to use the bathroom or anything and, like, I was just sleeping, and then, like, it just, I hurt so bad. And I didn't understand. And then I got into the hospital. So, um, one second. When, uh, you know, we've heard some stories about people, when people end up in trap houses, and they end up in rough shape. And, I mean, I think, I don't want to make the mistake of, like, assuming that I can, that it's just, like, a bunch of, honestly, I, this might sound bad, but I picture, like, a, pretty much like a bunch of zombies just sitting around in a in a really dark musty cave that's just like 
really, you know, I but it's almost like fictional seeming, you know, it's like a comic book like kind of thing. But I know it's not that. I know there's real human beings and real structured existing. So you're just crawling around. What is what is some of the reactions from these people around you? And I know these people around you are probably equally, if not more, strung out, drug dependent, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, I know that there's still a group of human beings. Can you tell me what that's like? Like, what is that like? Being in a trap house, crawling around. Like, what are some of the reactions from people around you? Is there any real like like amount of care? Like, what is that like? Uh, at what that point, that I like? was around people that care as much as I could. Yeah. Like in our addiction. Yeah. I mean, they noticed that something was going on because it started getting a lot worse. Uh, they took me, like, it got to a point where they took me to the hospital, and I was there, but I was so gone, still stuck in a psychosis that. Uh, I had a visitor, and I left with that person. But, like, at that point, it wasn't as bad. They didn't tell me, like, I was going to die or whatever. At least I can't remember. So I went back, <laughs> thought that I was good, and then, and then, like, my legs started giving out, and, like, I was just so pale, and just I couldn't stay awake anymore. Like, to a point where it was just so hard to walk and, like, do anything. My head was hurting, like, so bad, no matter what I did. And, like, I'd start blacking out. It was just... So they brought me to the one in Anchorage after a while. And I sat, and I sat there for a few weeks. Really thought I was done. But, like, the smartest thing I think I, I did was... Uh, I applied for Serenity House when I was in there. Okay. Because I... Uh, I had a friend that I grew up with and I used with. He came, he came here and he told me about it. And he's like, the only thing he is... He came to the hospital in Anchorage? Yeah. And was telling you about it? Okay, wow. Because he was like eight months or something. Clean. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is a, a big deal. Looking back, this guy, big yeah. deal. So, I think, you know, I, I owe him a lot. Because yeah. I wouldn't have went to treatment. And that's the only, like, him bringing that up is the only reason why treatment sounded even good. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And probably the fact that... Someone in a white coat showed up and was like, Hi, uh, Mr. So-and-so, we would like you to maybe consider the 30-day inpatient drug rehabilitation center located on the Kenai Peninsula, Serenity House. You'd be like, yeah, no. <laughs> right? I mean, this is like, that's not going to sound appealing. But really, that might be what you would have heard had your friend not been there. Yeah. And then he, uh, he was like, the only thing is, is they require you to go to these 12 step, 12, uh, 12 step group meetings. I was like, oh yeah, I know all about those. <laughs> mm-hmm. So luckily that seed was planted when I was, uh, uh like trying it before. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I really thought I was done that time. <laughs> Again, mm-hmm. I, I just wasn't, found somebody with some meth and I did some and then I left the hospital like I think a week before I was getting out like we had been done with my treatment there <laughs> and like I can I, I was going through my messages earlier like this week and uh, like I was I still wasn't all there mm-hmm. might have also been because when I left I went out back out to the valley and I I was just I got high again mm-hmm. and like they told me I was going to die. And I really thought I was done. I spent, like, weeks crying. 
because I really thought I was going to die, and I just wasn't ready. And they were telling you that your drug use is one of the main things killing you. It was. And what's interesting is that you're in your addiction, and you're crying because you're going to die, and you're crying because you know that your drug use is killing you, but you're crying like, well, you're picking up that meth pipe. I mean, that is just how powerful that addiction becomes. Yeah. I just, just couldn't stop and, like, I don't know how I think it's because of the grace of God, but I made it here. Hmm. Like, I made it here. To surrender. And, like, I kept calling them, and they're like, we can't, we can't let you come until you finish your, like, treatment in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And, like, I was like, oh, great. Because, like, I already saw my last two times I was in there, I'd it just didn't work out yeah but I was like all right so I admitted myself into the hospital here in Soldatna and like it's just crazy my doctor they're like all right well you're gonna probably have to be here for like six weeks I'm like dude I just sat in a hospital for like a month and a half mm-hmm. already like I don't even think I can take this much more and then on top of that they threw they, they put me on a no contact order like I couldn't leave that floor like people could come and yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because like, it seems like anytime anybody cr- shows up, you're taken you're off. You're a with chronic them. runaway, man. Yeah. You are done. Yeah, good. But at the time, you know, I, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you're pissed. I was like, oh, you're like, great. Yeah, cool. Oh, yeah. yeah, thanks a lot. A hole. <laughs> Y'all don't know me. <laughs> but like, I told my mom that, and she's like, you're probably good. Yeah. <laughs> like now you can't run. Right. Yeah. Right. I was like, I don't know anybody here, but I said that in Anchorage, too. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Us addicts, we can find anything, yeah. anywhere. But I sat there, and, like, I was fine. But then, like, a few days later, like, my doc, yeah, when she told me that, I was like, no, it's not. It's not going to work. Like, I will leave. Because mm-hmm. I already know. Like, I will leave. <laughs> it's proven. <laughs> so I don't know how she did it. Like, she, uh. She she risked her job because I was just honest with her. Like, I was going to leave if I had to sit there for that long. I need to get into treatment because I need, like, I don't know. But for some reason, it just seemed like the only idea and option I've never tried. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So she worked with me. She, what she did was she ordered these illegal antibiotics from, at, like, Germany or something, Switzerland. <laughs> and, like, she wasn't, you can't do that. It's never been tested in America. And, like, so she waited before it came in, and then she told me that it came in and that I only had to be there for two weeks. Um, So while I was in Serenity House, I had to go every Wednesday and get the antibiotics injected into me. So they would last a week and for, like, four weeks while I was in there. That was the additional month Mm -hmm. that I would have had to spend in the hospital. I got to spend in Serenity House instead. Oh, nice. So, and then... When I got out of Serenity House and my treatment was all done, I actually got to thank, I got to thank her. Because without that help, I literally probably would be dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't, like, I can't be grateful enough for that. Mm-hmm. But while I was in Serenity House, I got introduced to the uh, 12-step program. Mm-hmm. And then I decided to really get involved in it. Um, I wasn't all for it at first, you know, mm-hmm. like while I was in there, I was like, oh, you know, weed and alcohol never really, <laughs> never ruined my life. Yeah, that but was But once I got a sponsor and I started working the steps and stuff, 
that's my key result to me relapsing every time was alcohol. Mm-hmm. And weed just makes me lazy, so yeah, can't do that. <laughs> that's right. One thing leads to another and to another and to another. Yeah, so I think it was a few weeks into Serenity House then something like kind of changed and I started really taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. And like I started really working steps. Because after a few weeks in Serenity, because you were in the hospital for two weeks before you went to Serenity, so now a few weeks in, you have a good five weeks clean or so, right? A little bit more maybe, a little bit less. Yeah, it took me a little bit before I even got into, like, got here. Yeah, so mm-hmm. you got a little bit of clean time, kind of. I kind of sat here in Soldotna to... for, like, a few weeks before I even got to, went in the hospital. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I was at, like, my uncle's. Okay, so you were you'd gotten some sobriety under your belt to the point where you're probably able to start to reflect a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I'd say that it, even being in treatment, it was it wasn't it wasn't easy. Uh, like I don't, I was just I was really gone, like mentally, physically. I had to regain strength altogether. It's just mm-hmm. everything was just a hassle. It seemed like when I got out. Uh, I really, I started going to meetings and stuff a lot more. And did you have a sponsor at this point? Oh, yeah, I had, I got yeah. a sponsor like a week or two in Serenity House. Yeah. And you worked steps in Serenity, right? I think yeah. kind of the general expectation is that you work a few the steps or so. One, two, three, you do their way, the yeah. packet or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I, I did it also with my sponsor. Okay. Since, okay. Uh, Sometimes they differ a little bit. I work mine through Alcoholics Anonymous, so... Yeah. It just seems like what I got my sobriety from. Mm-hmm. I think it was just because of my bad experience for me not doing anything in NA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But later on down the road, I make amends. I made amends to the <laughs> to the program. <laughs> yeah. So I go there, and I'm a drug addict, too. So <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just got into a lot of service and a lot of meetings. I just kept busy and I wanted to go back to the valley and I thought about it a lot but it just seemed like I needed to stay here for some reason mm-hmm. and it's probably that same part of you that kept telling you that you needed to go to school you know what I mean there's some sort of structure that's some part of you that knows like without this because then you leave school and things go straight downhill it's kind of a part of you that knows like if you go back like yeah at least right now or you know or even at that point like it's probably heading the same direction it was just too much of like that same feeling over again. Yeah. yeah. It's probably good. No contactless and soldatna are good things for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't really know. Like, the, just the beginning of sobriety was just, it wasn't easy at all, honestly. Uh, I was learning something new. I didn't know it. At that point, all I really knew how to do was live that criminal lifestyle and do drugs. And then on top of that, I'm living in a place where I don't know anybody. Mm-hmm. So I felt really alone, which yeah. made it really hard, and I had to make new friends and new mm-hmm. connections. And I just had to start trusting people all over again. It's just, it was hard. But it got easier and easier the more I, I talked to people and hung out with people, even if I didn't want to do anything. Mm-hmm. I'm a good isolator. It's not just sitting in my crap. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, 
when you were in military school, it was kind of like a back to your wall situation. Was this kind of one of those as well, where you didn't feel like you had any other options? You knew if you uh, yeah kind of went down I, the same I knew road, if you'd I die. Went, yeah, if I went back, I was toast. Yeah. Yeah. But that drove you to, I mean, you said the the beginning part was the hardest, and so it sounds like things got significantly harder. But you were determined because you had what you saw as no other choice. And I just I did not want to go back to how that was. It's like remembering the pain of the past kind of drove you. You're like, I'm not going back. There has to be something better. There has to be something different because I know that hurts. Yeah. I think dying wasn't what scared me the most after I realized it's sitting and living in that misery that I was living in. Huh. And there's not knowing who I am and being a slave to the drugs just really sucked and no matter how hard it was at the, like at the beginning I just kept I had to keep pushing mm-hmm. I, I wanted to quit a lot and it's it just seemed like God kept putting people in my life that needed to be there at that moment I learned a lot of lessons and I I don't know I gained a lot of good friends throughout this I don't know it's beautiful nowadays my day, my my days today aren't like I guess the problems today are nothing like they were like a, almost a year ago. Mm-hmm. Now it's like oh I gotta pay bills. <laughs> right. Right. Go to yeah. work. Great. <laughs> yeah. 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 That makes sense. I know. I see this so. The other day I saw this thing that said something like, "My worst day sober is better than my best day using." Yeah. And then I saw some threads, like some comments in there, and some people were like, this is bogus. Like, I had some pretty... My best day using was pretty good. Like, and they're just being realistic. But then I guess they kind of got down. And so they discussed some of this. And part of what the person was saying was... uh, And I'm not trying to suggest that people should go use and that it's better, obviously. Um, But what they said was essentially that, like when using in like a realistic where any kind of reality ever sets in there's just such a like a part in your mind that's like this is a dead end man like no matter how good it is it's a dead end like i mean no matter how good it is for a brief moment you know and like in sobriety even on some of those like downhill days you know where things are just not going well like there's not any kind of like impending doom yeah does that make sense? Yeah. Is that kind of what's going on? Like when you really start to get into that addiction for quite a while, you just start to, if it hits you after a while that like, I know where this ends and it ends up with me being unable to walk, unable to like have a functioning body in the hospital near death and hating myself and not being able to function physically or mentally. I mean, does that pretty much well set in? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I think part of what we're hearing is that, you know, after a while, that does start to become quite noticeable in people's minds. Like, there's this few times where they go back out and they think, oh, I can do better this time, I can do better this time. But there's a couple times, there's after a couple times, some people learn a little faster than others um, that, like, I'm not really probably going to do better this time. I know where this ends, and this time it's going to end about the same as last time, but, you know, the disease is powerful you know yeah so you have about a year sober today 
Is that, uh, is that what? It? Next month I'll have like a year. Wow. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, what have the last few months been like? Once you got to about nine months, what have those been like? Because you probably, after nine months, you're pretty, uh, you're outside of, you're not like, so let me go back. The first few months of recovery, it sounds like you're all in. I mean, just all in. And maybe, you know, those first few months, it's like you're focused on getting better, getting better. And there's almost maybe, maybe a little bit of a high to that, you know, to have to that hope, you know. You got some hope. There's some real, you're making traction. Well, then after about six months after that, so about nine months after, that whole, like, I'm getting clean, I'm getting clean. Now you just are learning to live clean. Mm -hmm. I feel like after nine months, it might be a, an adjustment period that's hard, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, you have hope, but it's like you're not... You get what I'm saying? So what's, what's, the, what's the last few months been like? Uh, what have been the good parts, the difficulties? Probably just really learning how to <laughs> how it work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's really all. I mean, I still do my recovery the same I did at the beginning. Really? So, so you're still, like, hard. a meeting or two every day? Really? Okay. And it's like, when I don't, if I don't do that, I can notice a difference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just kind of some inner turmoil, or, like, what's that feel like when you don't? It's just kind of draining, it seems like. You get really irritable and just discontent. Mm -hmm. It's really odd. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of refuels you, re resets you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Are you looking to uh, sponsor other people in the future? Yeah. Yeah? Mm -hmm. I mean, I had a few already. Yeah? One just went back to jail, and the other one, uh, it just wasn't working out. Sure. So uh, he went with somebody else. Yeah. That's just how it goes. It's not about me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. What was, it, what was it like to take someone else uh, under, more or less, under your wing? Scary? Yeah. Just not used to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Feel Just a little new. like daunt, a little overwhelming, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But the only way I can get good at it is if I do it. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. has that kind of been your attitude now with learning a lot of your skills? You're just like, it's gonna suck at first, but eventually I'm gonna get used to it and I'm gonna work through it. Yeah, pretty much. Nice. That's a good way to look at it. It's interesting, you know. It's like I imagine it like when you get into recovery you know and you see these like the months racking up you know what i mean it's almost like that same kind of like like ang not necessarily anxious but like exciting feeling you get like you know when you do go to work and like you look at your bank statement you know and it goes up you put someone savings and it goes up and it goes up and it goes up you know what i mean like people have this really weird like love of like progression you know what i mean and, like innovation more or less but it's like super interesting that it's like really relative to like everybody's life, you know what I mean? Like you're you're stacking up months, you know what I mean? Like months are coming in, coming in. Like you relate that to two years ago, you know what I mean? Like when you were selling or like when you were stealing, you know, it's like, oh, getting it, getting it, getting it. You know what I mean? It's like kind of this like really almost exciting like progression towards the ends of your means, which your ends of the means then was to feel your addiction. Yeah. And now it's like the complete opposite in your sobriety you know what i mean now it's it's getting it it's getting it it's getting it like every day you're doing something a little more something a little more just feel something else yeah the better end of it obviously but no i just thought that was interesting mm -hmm. tangent but how does that feel you know what i mean like every month that passes by like you hit your you hit your clean date you know for the next month or like the same day i guess like you're as the months progress you know how does that 
How does that progression feel? Like, do you do something on that day, like, kind of just to yourself even? Just, like, in a good way, like, oh, like, it's another month, you know? Like, I don't really, I don't really treat myself. I mean, I, I just go to a meeting, mm-hmm. get my coin, and share. Nice. Mm-hmm. Carry the message. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Show that it works. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So have you done all the 12 steps now? Yeah. Do people, do people ever go through the steps twice or more than once? Or not, is that, that's an uncommon thing? Yeah. Yeah. For my program, at least. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You do it and then you help others go through it, but you yeah, know, normally really like you're going, going through going. it. When you, you go through it and then when you sponsor people, you're going through it again, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then again, again, again. Yeah. And through, like, do you, like catch things you know like the second time you go through it like when you're sponsoring people that you didn't really think about it the same way before like when you went through it the first time and like kind of see it from a different perspective i guess kind of yeah what was the hardest step for you four which one is that it's uh you do an inventory of yourself okay yeah like a fearless moral inventory with somebody else right that you share with somebody else yeah yeah other than that they all they all were kind of good it got good feeling to it Mm -hmm. it's like a change Mm -hmm. yeah i could not imagine trying to do that i mean that would be that would be hard that'd be really hard it'd take a while there's a lot of aspects of like of that one step that are difficult in themselves you know what i mean like trusting that other person you're talking you know you're opening up to there's a lot lot of vulnerability there You're being very trusting. You're being very vulnerable, which are two things you probably haven't been much in your life. You know what I mean? Just, like, listening to the story. And then you have to, like, do it within yourself. You have to be honest with yourself. There's mm-hmm. a lot of honesty, a lot of trust, a lot of vulnerability. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. a lot of things that don't come easy to anybody. You're digging really. down deep in the dump, man. You're going to find <laughs> yeah. some trash that you don't really want to find, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Perhaps. I would. I know. Yeah. 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 We had somebody who was, I think it was, um, that we've recorded with before, you know, suggest that everybody do the 12 steps, like just in general. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it takes a lot of reflection and a lot of being honest and just like kind of a lot of accountability to yourself and to your, you know, the community you build around yourself, you know, really, which is, I mean, it's hard. It's hard for every day. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's interesting that we, like. We put it in the lens of like, oh yeah, the twelve steps is for recovery. You know, pretty much everyone could use the twelve steps. You know what I mean? Realistically, like almost like a grow. It's it's just a growing process. You know what I mean? Not like just a growing process. I mean, some easier for than others. You know, but like, it's always hard. Growing pains are always difficult. Yeah, they are. Right, should we do the twelve steps, Eric? be tough stuff but yeah yeah it'd be hard um so today you have about a year clean learning to live again learning to kind of overcome life's difficulties without drugs and alcohol what are your uh what are some of your goals for the future have you kind of started to develop more of a mindset toward the future i think in addiction the reason i ask is it sounds like in addiction it's very much now minded very much like i need drugs or if it's not like i need drugs now it's like how am i going to get drugs later you know and so as you've been clean have you noticed a developing you developing kind of like a look toward the future that's a little bit more than the next now to 12 hours from now you know what are some of your goals for the future 
I guess it's probably the normal dream, you know? Yeah. Of uh, family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A house. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Not really. I guess a job that can that will meet my needs. Mm-hmm. That's good. Cool. Really, all I want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't really want like a giant house in the hills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it'd be cool. But <laughs> right. 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 It's a little over uh, exaggeration. Yeah. Unless I become a star overnight or something. <laughs> Make you famous. Well, thanks for sharing your story with us today, John. I, uh, I think it's. One, I think what's really interesting is that you uh, you kind of hit your rock bottom pretty low, and uh, you know you're pretty young. I don't know exactly how old you are today, but you're not. Uh, you went through some really, really, really difficult times for a period of years there, and you were, you know, it sounds like you had a few. When we, when we look at like like what's kind of keeping this guy, like we look at people who end up in situ like some, around some certain factors and other people who have similar factors and some people make it and some people don't. And they're like, what the heck's the difference? You know, well, there's probably a little bit of genetic differences, a little bit of environmental circumstances. But another one is like some, what are some key factors that go on there? Like protective factors? Like one, you seem to have some, at least once you got to the valley, you had some stable parents for the most part some stable adults in your life, even though they weren't, like, putting up with your crap, that could be argued to be a pretty much a good thing. Like, they probably mm-hmm. shouldn't have been putting up, you know? You had some stable adults in your life. Your mom, it sounds like, was there for you throughout. You know, even when you were going to the hospital, you had someone that cared about you, who wanted to see you succeed. And then you end up in the hospital, and you have a friend, a peer, who has accepted you as as one of his own, you know, as a friend and uh, is looking out for your well-being. You know, you had some, it sounds like you had a mixture of internal characteristics of, you know, wanting to succeed, and which I think most, all people who end up at the rock bottom of addiction have, you know. They don't lose themselves. Like, there's still, I mean, they a lot of it goes when the drugs take over, but there's still a piece of them in them that, you know, they feel the shame, they feel the guilt, they feel the motive, like, the sadness. It's like, man, my freaking life is mm-hmm. empty, you know, it's gone. Like, this is what's happening. And now, like... I think a little piece of you knows, like, knows why you're there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, all the factors, like, we talked about, like, through childhood or even through, like, some traumatic events, and you know what I mean? Like, and you, you kind of know why you're there. I think it's most, like, most uh, represented in, like, you're, you t- said you're sitting there, you're like, I'm going to die. I don't really want to die. The drugs are killing me. And you're crying while you're doing drugs, you know? Like, you you know, like, this isn't what I want, but you are just, like, like you said, a complete slave. And the brain science shows a lot of this of like people becoming like unable to choose to, to a large extent in the end, you know, until there's some certain factors that might come into play. So it just sounds like you, between some of your internal characteristics as well as some pretty key factors that protected you from being that person that, is just and maybe there's some other miracles as well, you know, like you are through some of that like able to live like a a healthy, productive, uh 
hope producing life, you know, and it's just so, so cool to see, man. It's awesome to hear your story today. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. I think there's some, like I've been rambling, you know, I think there's some Mm -hmm. really cool things to be able to glean from that. And I mean, honestly, like, you know, we talk about like, what are your goals for the future, you know, and like, it seems like, you know, you're like, I don't want much, you know, like house in the hills would be nice, but really like your biggest impact at the end of the day is going to be just through your sobriety and like living through who you are, you know what I mean? And the people you impact like through this and through, you know, sponsors, you know, not that and sponsoring other people, not that every single one was going to work out, you know, but like that's in our community, in this community and like the people we're trying to reach, like that's going to be your impact in your legacy more or less, you know what I mean? Like to everybody you reach and touch, you know? So like, yeah, it's just cool to see, man. It's cool to see like everyone kind of just getting out there and, doing what they can for who they can and, you know, caring, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, like, that's cool to see and people caring about people. you don't necessarily need to be that guy that shows up at somebody's hospital bed with eight months, you know, and be like, dude, I've been there. You don't need to do that to be, uh, to live a good life necessarily, but you might be that mm-hmm. person one day, you know? Yeah. And I think that's, that's very significant, you know, so... Thanks. Um, as always, this is uh, Eric and Aaron and Coburn. We were able to hear a great recovery story today with John. Uh, please be uh, just be uh, thinking about all the ways that uh, all the hope that can be found in some of these uh, some of these messages, as well as the you know the fact that you know this the disease of addiction is really powerful, but with some you know with some. Uh, some certain influences, some certain factors, as well as, you know, not giving up, we can see a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, really, really cool lives, uh, come to emerge in recovery. So thank you so much. This is you and I for the Kenai.